Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is our text. 10 and verse 12. Now you've got, you've got them out there and they're reading and, they're, and, 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 and they've got a huge crowd and, and they're crying and weeping and repenting and all of this stuff's going on. And then at the very end of all of that, he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That comes out of verse 10. He's saying to a crowd that has just repented before God, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He told them, stop crying. Stop mourning. It's done. Get on with it and realize that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then verse 12, it it describes kind of what happened. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to sin portions, meaning to help those that did not have they gave their stuff away to them. They gave food to them. And they rejoiced greatly. Why did they have this celebration? Why were they now celebrating? Whereas just a few minutes before, they were mourning and crying and weeping. But now they're celebrating. Why? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. You know, joy and strength. There's a lot of Bible verses that talk about joy, aren't there? Man, I just did a quick search for joy today, and man, there's a no-ending amount of verses. I just picked a few. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into many various trials. And joy is all, there's all kinds of different ways to describe joy. In the Psalms it says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. There's a joyfulness in that scripture, a praising of God. In 1 Peter it says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And I bet if I asked you tonight to give me verses on joy, you could probably quote or or refer to several verses about joy. The Bible talks about joy a lot, doesn't it? The Bible also talks about strength couple of verses I, I, I just found today about, about strength. In Ephesians 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Talks about putting on the whole armor of God there, right? Strength in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Isaiah says, but those who wait on the Lord, trust in him, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall be strong. The Bible says in the book of Mark, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. We can see in context there's various applications of joy and strength. And we can see them standing alone with joy and strength. But in our text, you know what God does? He combines the two, and he says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you understand that, that concept? We're just not talking about joy or strength. We're talking about that the joy of him is our strength. I've got a question for you tonight. Is the joy of God your strength? And we talk about all the time about being strong in the Lord and putting on the armor of God or being joyful and, you know, 
Um, I heard a pastor one time say, not my pastor, just a pastor. He said, you know, I, I tell my wife all the time, before you go into church, take off that gloomy face and put on a joyful face because, you know, we can't be bringing down the, the people in the church. And, I, you know, I, I get that, and I, I think that's partly right. You, you don't want to, how's your day? Awful? How's your week been? Terrible? Come on, man. It's tough, all, and you just can't, you, you know, that's not good either. And, and, and so there's a balance there. But, but you know, I, the Bible says that we get joy from the Lord. Our joy isn't in our circumstances. Our joy isn't in what we get or receive. But our joy is to be God. Him and Him alone. And when He is our joy, that becomes our strength. And I was looking at those verses and I was thinking, okay, how does that in context work with these people? Well, do you know how God becomes our joy? I'll tell you the end, then we'll tell you how we get to this end. The reason God, the Lord, is our strength it's because that these people just sat and listened to what God does. You remember what uh, they did? They brought the scrolls out. They didn't have a Bible. There was no book. They came in scrolls. And they brought the scrolls out, and the scribes un unrolled the scrolls. And Ezra, Nehemiah, they began to read what was in the scrolls. And as they read what was in the scrolls, the, be the people began to weep and to mourn. You know why? What were they reading? They were reading the books of Moses, right? They were reading, you know, and we don't know where they were reading, but they could have been reading out of Genesis. They could have been reading out of Exodus, probably reading some Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, I think it was, where, where God told them, you need to obey my commandments and live for my glory so that when you go into the promised land, you will keep the promised land. See, these folks had just gone through captivity. They've been released. They've been back in the kingdom for a while, a long time actually, but they hadn't finished what they were supposed to do in, in rebuilding the temple. The walls were still destroyed. They hadn't become unified again. You know, there was still a lot of work to be done. And, and they're, they're being read what God had done for them and what God expected of them and what God wanted for them and what God wanted from them. And all of that brought repentance to their heart. And then the prophet said, Ezra and Nehemiah said, listen, okay, now you've repented. Now you need to understand something. The joy of the Lord, of what God has done for you. Remember what He's done for you. Keep that, and that will be your strength. So what, when the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength, what it's telling us is that we have to remember what God has done for us. And in remembering what God has done for us, that is where we get strength. You know, what has God done for us? Forgive us of our sins. Made us a child of God. Mo gave us new birth, didn't he? When we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I think oftentimes we go through life and we don't realize the joy that we 
could have and the joy that we actually possess because we stop focusing on Christ and we focus on all the problems. They, they, they were still, you know, in, in a difficult situation. But the prophet wanted them to know that their strength did not rest in their actions or in themselves or in their abilities. Their strength actually rested in what God had done for them and will continue to do for them. And so they need to rejoice and be joyful in that, and that becomes strength. And in, 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 in a lot of ways, doesn't, don't you like hanging around joyful people? And what does that do? I'll be honest with you. When I came into church tonight, I'm not feeling really good because it's all Emily's fault. She's given us this wonderful cold flu thingy going around. And I'm on the latter end of it, but I'm really tired. And, and uh, my head's all stuffed up and all that. And I even said to Lisa at home, I said, you know, if I wasn't the preacher, I might even call in sick. You know, I said, I'd call the pastor. I'm not feeling good today. I, I'll see you next week. <clears throat> but I, I can't do that. And, and so I came to church tonight because I wanted to, and I wanted to be here. But I saw Mo, and Mo came in, and he's all smiling, and we're talking about Jesus in the back. And then that just, it encourages me, doesn't it? Now I want to just quickly go through a few thoughts here. Because I want you to be encouraged in Christ. I want you to be encouraged in your Christian life. Even when... There's a lot of junk around us that isn't so encouraging. So here's what they did. We see that in our text. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So Nehemiah and Ezra, they all gather them around one of the brand new gates that they just built. Can you picture this? They're inside the city of Jerusalem, this beautiful, solid, strong, um, well-built gate and wall is surrounding the city, and, the, and they bring them to the water gate. Now, maybe at first we don't really see the importance of the water gate, but they bring them around the water gate, and when they get them there, they open the Word of God up, and they begin to read the Word of God, and God begins to move and work in their lives, right? Because we just read the story, and we know all this is going on. You know what's kind of neat? A lot of times we can find some pictures in the Bible that they don't really speak a lot, but once you understand what the picture represents, it starts making a little bit more meaning. You know, in the Bible, water is a great symbol of a lot of things, right? You know, water, um, one of the interesting things about being at the water gate is water has great spiritual meaning in Scripture. Water, when it's used for washing, is a picture of what? Purification or a picture of the Word of God. You know, when the priests, before they went into the holies place, the, the, that, the holy place, the first section of, the, of the, um, the tent in the tabernacle courtyard there, there was a water basin out there, and they would wash in that water basin. And that is a picture of the washing of God's Word. And then there's, you know, the water that you drink. You ingest that water. Do you know what the, the picture of the drinking water represents? 
throughout the Old Testament, it represents the Holy Spirit. So when that water is being drunk, it's, it's, as, it's as if God is coming inside of us. So here's the picture. They're at the water gate. They've opened up the Word of God. That water gate, to, to them, they understand it as a picture of water, which is a picture of the Word of God, which is a picture of purification, of cleansing, of washing. It's a picture of that water that you drink, of, 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 of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Here you have a people prepared for the work of God. God is going to do a work in these people's lives. Nehemiah is reading the scripture. You know, when we apply the water of the word to our lives, and then the spirit of God begins to work in that word of God and, and bring the help that we need, it is a ref it's refreshing to our soul when, when all of that's working. You know, we receive the word of God. It's just not words, but it's words that are propelled into our life by the Holy Spirit. And do you not see this work that God is doing in these people here? Figuratively, they are there to be cleansed and filled. I'm not sure of that application, but it's interesting to think that God told Nehemiah and Ezra to gather all the people around the water gate and then open up the water of the Word of God so that the water of the Holy Spirit will begin to work in their lives. Who came to hear the word of God? Who came? They, they, they had this big meeting. Who came? Everybody that could understand came. Men, women, children, families came. You know, they didn't, they didn't say, well, only the ones who, who are older and mature or only the men Nothing like that. Do you know what this shows us? It shows us that the Word of God is open to everybody. Do you, do you know? I don't know how many times people have come to us and said, man, we're so thankful for the, your church and, 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 and how you allow families to come in. There's a young lady named Giselle. I'm going to read a prayer request from her in a, in a few moments when we're done. She sat in the very back row. She had a little girl... It's about two years old named Caroline. And when, when, when they left, she, she, she wrote me an email today, and she was thanking us for, for making her feel so welcome. She said, I felt like I was a part of your church. I felt loved by your people. Uh, she said, you know, you just took such good care of us. And she said, I will be coming again this coming Sunday with my daughter. And I'll give you a prayer request from her in a few minutes. But you know what? I've, I've heard so many times where people say, you know what? I like the fact that you allow the children to hear the word of God. You know, folks, don't ever think that a child, I mean, granted, maybe a two-year-old probably needs to be in crash. But, you know, once they can begin to sit and listen to things, you know, however you feel as a parent that you want your child to sit and listen, if they need a piece of paper to write on, okay. If you want, if they, if they just need to stare at the speaker, okay, whatever works for you. But the point is, I believe that God tells us that we should have our children around the Word of God. 
Because that is what will penetrate into their heart. Who came to hear God's word? All who could understand. Men and women and all who were able to understand involved the entire community. Including people and women and children. You know what? This is probably one of the reasons why the Jewish people became known as the people of the book. You know, and they would, not only in their synagogues and different places, but even in their homes, they would open up scriptures around their family. The Old Testament emphasizes that God's word is to be known and used by all the people, not only the priests and the leaders. And then we see in verse 3 that the prophet read selected parts of the law of God that Moses wrote. We see that they stood there for six hours. Now, I'm not going to use even in a joking manner that to say we should have long sermons. I don't think there should be long sermons or short sermons. You know what I think there should be? I think there should be God's led sermons. If they're long, they're long. If they're short, they're short. But what they need to be is spirit-filled and powerful. Do you know what, though, I see from this? I don't think that the key here was the amount of time that they spent standing in the, inside the city of Jerusalem listening to Ezra uh, read the scrolls of the Word of God. I don't think the amount of time was the big issue. It's the statement that actually came after in verse 3 about the amount of time that they spent there. See, in verse 3 it says, And they read... Uh, Therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. Before men and women, all that could understand. Here's the key. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Do you know what was, what's most powerful there? The people were hungry for God's word. And I don't think anything that happened after that the repentance, the mourning, the celebration, the joyfulness, all of that. None of that would have happened unless, that they, unless they were attentive to the Word of God. Do you know what I think? That one of the biggest hindrances to us as believers in Christ of, of gleaning and growing in our faith, we're not attentive to the Word of God. And we can all work at being more attentive to God's word. You know what? That actually means when they attended, they listened attentively, attentively, because they firmly believed the message that was being revealed to them. There was a teachableness in that people. Do you know why? The Bible doesn't say why, but can I give you what my opinion is? For years, they lived as a shattered people. You remember when Nehemiah left the king and he rode into Jerusalem and he snuck in and he wanted to check out the, the, the city and the walls and stuff? And he said they were burned down and they were in a mess and everything was just kind of in chaos and there was, there was nothing in control. It was just a terrible situation. And that's how the people were living and then all of a sudden, Nehemiah shows up. The king gave him money, gave him wood, and gave him all the things that he needed to build the wall. He said, look, let's get together and build the wall. And in 52 days, through attacks 
and, and through threats and through all of that, those people saw God do what they could not, that what they have not been able to do in decades. And it was done in 52 days. And now they're standing before the priest and the men that led them to do this. And they, they acknowledge and understand one thing, that this was a work of God. Now, that this God who did this is speaking to us, we need to listen. I think there was an attentiveness to the word of God because they had seen God do a great and mighty work. Why can't we as God's people have that hunger and thirst and attentiveness after the word of God? Have we forgotten what God has done for us? Have we forgotten that we've been saved and born again through believing in Jesus Christ? Have we forgotten so soon what the sacrifice of God's Son was, that He bore our sins on the cross? I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm trying to remind us of why we need to listen. The excuse of, I don't like to read or, you know, I don't, whatever, that's not good enough. The excuse of I don't have time to spend in God's Word, not good enough. The excuse of, well, I've never had the habit really of reading God's Word, not good enough. I think we ought to be like these people, attentive to the Word of God. Now, it doesn't tell us, I said, why they're attentive but I only can surmise that they were attentive because they saw such a great and mighty work. And now they're hearing from that God who did all this work. Something caused them to want to listen. And it seems to me that it was probably because of what God had done. They were teachable. They were receptive One of the, one of the, Sunday was just wonderful. It's good to see a full building, isn't it? Good to see your brother here, you know? It was good to see people I had no idea of, you know, Felino calls me up about an hour before, a couple hours before church, and he says, Pastor, I'm bringing 22 people to church. Now, granted, they didn't get here till like 20 minutes before the end of the service, but they showed up, you, you know, praise the Lord for that. I mean, God did an amazing thing. You know, these last couple of days at home in my devotions and stuff, as I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and all that stuff, my mind kept going back to that Sunday. And I just had to continue to thank God for what He did on Sunday. Sunday afternoon, I, I, I went home, and, and normally I take a nap. This Sunday I didn't because there was just too much to do. And... Um, uh, there's, I thought I only printed out a hundred letters to send to churches. We, we printed out like almost 200. We got 200 churches within a 10 mile radius of our church that we're sending letters to for the Real Lives Gospel uh, event in, in June. And what I did Sunday afternoon is I, I went on the internet and I just found lists of churches and copied and pasted it into my, into my computer. And then on Monday, I didn't know how to get my computer to print them automatically. 
So I had to do each one consecutively. Hit print on my computer and hit print on the printer. Took me forever, but we got it done. And there's almost 200 letters getting ready to go out. You know what I kept doing? I kept thanking God for what he did Sunday. And because of what he did Sunday, I'm excited to see what God might do in June. Amen? Do you not see when you begin to see what God does for you, it works in our heart? And that joy kind of fills up. And that awe of God fills up. And this is what the prophet's trying to tell these people. When you see what God does, that joy ought to be the strength in your going. These people were attentive to the word of God. They listened to God's word. God's word about what he had done in creation or about what he had done in bringing them out of the land of Egypt and what he had done about bringing them through the 40 years of wilderness, what he did about giving the law of God on, on Mount Sinai, what he did about defeating the enemy coming into the, to the promised land, what he, what he said about, about you following his commands and as long as you do that, I will keep my hand upon you and keep you in the promised land. But if you disobey me, I will pull my hand and send you off into captivity. And all of that word of God began to work on their heart and bring repentance into their, into their life. Why? Because they were attentive to his word. We want God's word to work. We need to listen. Amen? And not only did they were they attentive, but they respected God's word. Ezra stood in front of the people. The lay leaders all stood around, and the priests stood around Ezra. And Ezra opened up the book, or the scroll, and all the people stood up. Now, I've been in churches preaching and, and doing some travels in the States, trying to raise our support to come here, that whenever they were, read the Bible, they would have the congregation stand up. I think that's fine. We've done that a couple of times, and sometimes we have guest speakers over the years that have, have had asked us to do that. But I think if we were to be really biblical about this and, and to do it the way they did it, they stood up and stayed up, right? You know, they just didn't stand up for the five se- They read the Word for six hours, and they stood there for six hours, we're not going to do this on Sunday and stand for the entire 90 minutes of our service. But you know what? All that just shows us simply this, is that they, re- they had a respect for the Word of God. They, they responded as they were attentive and respectful to the Word of God. They lifted up their hands in worship, showing a sense of their need. Do you see in the verse there, verse 6? They lifted their hands, showing that they needed what was being said. They said, amen, amen. Anybody know what that word amen means? So shall it be? I heard something else over here. Yeah, truly, truly. That's what it means. So shall it be, truly, truly. It means yes. Remember I told you a story a while back that there was a preacher in Malawi, he got up to preach, and as he was preaching, the different men and, and women, in, I guess it was women too, I don't know, but the different people in the congregation got up from their seat and, and began to stand by the preacher. He said, by the time I was done preaching, half the crowd had moved from the congregation standing next to me. He said, I had no idea why they were there. Afterwards, 
one of the veteran missionaries told him that, that when you are preaching and they get up and they stand next to you, that is like them, that's like when we say amen, that's what they mean by it. When they're standing next to you and you're preaching, what they're saying is, what you're saying is what I would say if I had the chance to speak. And what these Jewish people were saying, they were saying, God, what you are saying is true. See, I think sometimes we don't really understand what it means to hear God's word. Just by looking at these Jewish people in this little revival meeting, they lifted up their hands because they sensed their need. Do we sense our need for God's word when we come into his place? Do we, do we affirm our submission to the authority of Scripture by saying, yes, it's true. So shall it be. Amen. You know, sometimes we flippantly throw out the word amen, but what we really need to understand is when we say that, we're saying I am submitted to what God is saying in this text. And then they, those people, they bowed themselves to the ground uh, in a sense of humility and submission before God. What's important? What, what's happening here that's so important? What's going on is they weren't just being entertained by a message. They were being affected by the word of God. In verses 7 and 8, there's a big list of people's names there. The Levites and these men, these priests, these scribes. It says that these fellows went around, they helped the people to understand the law. It's not about just preaching and, and entertaining people. It's about helping people understand what the words say. So these men that were around Ezra, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalita, Ezariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and other of the Levites, they helped the people to understand what God was saying. They read distinctly and correctly the very words of God. God, God, God. But let me explain what was going on here. The Hebrew that they were reading had been written about a thousand years before this time. These, these people had been in captivity. Their language had changed. They had, you know, these Israelites, they weren't speaking the same Hebrew. I mean, it had been changed and infected. I mean, you guys who are, we're all mostly foreigners here, <laughs> Our vocabulary changed when we got over here. We stopped saying trunk, we now say boot. We stopped saying hood, we say bonnet. We stopped saying trash can, and we say bin. Okay? In a similar way, these Israelites' language changed. Do you know why they were explaining? Because the scriptures, thousand years old, the language was different, their understanding wasn't as clear because the language was different, so they explained what it meant. Let me read you something. Even the scripture needed to be explained. In one of my commentaries. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. 
since the people had lived in a foreign country all of their lives, they had lost some of their ability to understand Hebrew. Regardless, the Levites had the job of making sure the people knew what was being said. They were, being, they were helping them bridge the cultural gap between the last 70 years in Babylonian in Babylonian captivity with their cultural heritage as found in Scripture. It could have not been easy. Although God's Word is authoritative for life and faith and all matters, matters of knowing God, it frequently takes work to understand the message of God written in a foreign language in a distant time in a distant place. This is why we come here and we stand and we sit and we expound the Scriptures so that we can distinctly understand what it means. You guys over there in Armenia, what did your grandmother do? I think it was your grandmother, Sana, that translated the Bible, right? I've talked to Mike about this in a lot of detail. They just didn't simply take the word and, okay, this is what it means. And They had to study the culture and they had to understand the language and they took words in the Armenian language that explained what that Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic meant, right? Abigail, I think I got it right. They had to get the actual words. Why? So that those people could understand. We need to understand God's word. That's, you know what? That's why in part we need to come to church. That's why in part we need to study the word of God. That's why in part that it's just not about reading the Bible, but it's about understanding and, and acknowledging and, and knowing what the Bible says. It is the effect of the understanding on those people that brought them to repentance. It can never become mundane to speak of the effectiveness and importance of God's Word in the believer's life. Some of us have been saved for 30 plus years. Some of, us, some of us only a few years. But no matter how long or short we've been saved, we need to understand that if we want to have the joy of the Lord to be our strength, do you know what the key to that is? It's not going around and just you know, acting like you're happy and joyful. The joy was connected to their understanding of God's Word. And when they understood what God was doing and what God had did, they broke down before God, cried out in repentance, and then the prophet said, listen, stop crying. You've done it. It's over. You've repented. Now, take this, what you know about God, let that be joyful in your heart and let that be your strength for the journey ahead. You know, oftentimes I ask myself, why do we quit reading God's Word? Why do we quit listening to God's Word? There are a lot of reasons. Some are simple, some are pretty awful. But sometimes we get to the point where we think that these words that, we're, that we are reading seemingly do not apply to us. They don't apply to our situation. They don't apply to our, to our life. And I want to say to you tonight, it is at this time when you get to that place in your life where you think the Word of God does not apply in your life and you're struggling about reading it and you're struggling about being attentive to it and you're struggling about being receptive to the Word of God. I read a quote that that is the very time that you and I ought to devour God's Word. That is the very time that you and I should 
drench ourselves in the water of God's Word. Amen? That's a true statement. And it is because God's Word is good for us. We know, the, we know 2 Timothy 3. You know that scripture. All scripture inspired by God is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. I'm paraphrasing. But it corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word, as it was being read, and as the people were being helped to understand it, was doing what it was meant to do. It brought them to the understanding of its truth, which made them turn from their wicked ways to God. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is saying in verse 9. And the governor, Nehemiah, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites were interpreting for the pe- were interpreting for the people said to them, "Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God." For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. It brought them to repentance, and we need His word to know, so that we can change our minds and therefore have our lives changed. Pastor, why are you telling all this? I'm telling you this. I brought you through this whole story to help you to understand. You know what brings me greater joy? To know what God's doing. To know that God can still do. To know that God's saving people today. Know that God's drawing people to Him. Know that God's working in people's lives. Know that God's speaking to people. Know that God's speaking to me When I realize all these things and I read his book and I see all that he has done, I can only go and understand one thing, that this is a good thing. And Nehemiah and Ezra is telling these people the stuff that you just heard that brought you to -to face-to-face with God where you realized you've done wrong. Now you've turned to him. Now, take that and live in that joy as your strength. And here's what he said in verse 10. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing's prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. This is a special day. Do not sorrow. For the joy of what God has done is your strength. Christian, you ought to often remember when you were saved. You often ought to remember the answers to prayer requests that God has given you. Remember what God has done. Today might be hard, might be difficult, might be a difficult week or a month, maybe even a difficult year. But remember this. Remember what God has done for you. Remember that you've been saved. Remember that you've been forgiven. Remember that God is awesome God. And go in the strength of that joy of remembering what God has done in your life. Man, there's so much more. I I, I looked at it this way. He says, stop crying. 
You've repented. You've accepted God's word. Now be joyful. Celebrate it. It is this that will be your strength to join in the Lord. Real joy is an expression of faith in what God can do and is doing. That's all I want to say to you tonight. I'm done. Listen. This Christian life, there's a good thing at the end. And that's we're going to be with the Lord forever. You remember what Paul told the Thessalonian church? We're all, when it's all said and done, we're going to be with the Lord forever. We will be reunited with all our loved ones that have gone on before in the Lord. We're going to be with Jesus for eternity. But in the meantime, we've got a life to live. We have trials and sufferings to go through. We've got things to do for God. God is at work in this world. God wants to do things in our lives. God wants to save people. He desires people to be saved. And he's called the church to go out and to be his voice, to be his light, to be his salt. And that's what we're to do. But as we do that, sometimes it's hard, isn't it? And sometimes we get discouraged. And sometimes we want to quit. And sometimes we want to give in and give up. But the prophet says to the people of God, now that you know what he's done for you, the joy of that is your strength.